high school lesson for today. With all the social distancing because of viruses and such, I am coming to you from my living room instead of from church. So today's lesson is, you know, for March 22nd, 2020. And feel free to interact with us on, on the live stream. If you're watching this live, if it's recorded, you can still leave comments and we'll get back to you later. If you have any uh, concerns or any prayer requests, you can contact the church at 816-368-1330. That number may be scrolling across the bottom of the screen. You can contact us with our face or our, our website at towerviewkc.com. Our Facebook page at Towerview Baptist Church on Facebook, our public page there. All kinds of ways you can get a hold of us and contact us. And many, and I've, many of you have been getting a hold of us and contacting us. And so whether you're a member of Tower View Baptist Church or not, um, if you're a person that lives in Kansas City, the, what we call the Northland, um, the, more specifically the Maple Park or Grace Moore uh, uh, neighborhoods, Clay Como, that area of Kansas City, um, we'd love to get in contact with you. If you're, if you're watching us from some distant place in the, in the world, in America, um, welcome. I'm glad you're, you're watching and you're listening to us this morning. So this morning will be a Sunday school lesson. So I'm sitting here and I, I got my lesson plan here. I got my Bible sitting right here and I, I have my cup of tea sitting right here ready to go. So as we get started, let's, let's have a word of prayer as, as we study God's word for a few minutes this morning. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the letter of Romans that Paul wrote so many years ago, Lord, that he can, it's still being used today to edify us, to strengthen us, to give us knowledge, um, to build us up spiritually, Lord. You are the mighty God. And so while we were doing this in uncertain times, because of uncertainty in our world, Lord, uh, one thing we are certain of is your salvation that you have given us. You are the mighty God, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a second, I'm going to hit mute on my computer sitting here. That's the wrong button. Um, my computer is being used as a prop to prop up my phone because technology technology is grand when it works right. So we are in the book of Romans this morning, and we're beginning in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And... The begin verse twenty three. I'm sorry, verse twenty one. Yeah, Romans chapter three, verse twenty one. And verse twenty one starts. But now, apart from the law, and right there. But now, we when we read scripture so often, whether it's in a lesson or in a devotional guide, or we just read a verse a day, and you see a for a sentence starts. But now, you need to stop and go and wait a minute. What is What's he, what's he saying but to? Because a but refers to something that's been previously said. So, you know, if you're if you're watching this recorded, press pause right now. Go back and read the first part the the first part of chapter three, one through twenty. If you're watching this live, make a note and go back and read it later. But now, but what's he but now in? The first part of chapter three is he's talking about circumcision. 
and the differences between Jews and Gentiles and sin. And he quotes a whole bunch of Old Testament scripture in verses 10 through 18. And he's talking about the righteous and the unrighteous and how we, we are alike. Jew and Gentile are alike. You won't matter if you're circumcised or not. You are alike in God's eyes because we cannot follow God. We can't follow God. And he continues on, he goes, but now, but now what? He says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But now, apart from the law, so the Jews had the law. What is the law? Well, it's, it's the, the law of Moses that came down from Mount Sinai. You read part of the law in, in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, when Moses is given, with the children of Israel, given the Ten Commandments by God himself. You get the law through the book of Leviticus, the, the, the uh, system of sacrifices, and all the reasons for the sacrifices and how to give the sacrifices. And so we, that's the book of the law. That's the law that the Jews had. The Gentiles did not have that law. And when Paul wrote this during the Roman Empire, after the fall of the Greek Empire, they had the Roman gods and the Greek gods, the Egyptian gods, the Babylonian gods. That's what the gods everybody knew about. They didn't know. They, the Gentiles, they didn't have the law of Moses. And that's the law that, as we go through this, that Paul is referring to is the law of Moses that tells you from like the Ten Commandments, it tells you what sin is, that defines what sin is and what following God looks like. So this is what Paul is referring to when he talks about the law. So apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. In the law, in the Old Testament, righteousness of God has been revealed. But now Paul is saying, outside of that law, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. But it's been a, that new righteousness that Paul is talking about has been attested to by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets all pointed to Jesus, pointed to the Messiah, the coming one, the anointed one. Messiah translated to English is anointed one. Messiah translated into Greek is Christ, Christos, Christ. So Messiah, Christ, the Anointed One, those are all the same words, just in three different languages. So the law, the prophets, all attested to the coming one, the Anointed One coming. The, verse 22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. If you just read this verse by itself, and it says, since there's no distinction, it's like no distinction from what? And that's why we can't read Scripture one verse at a time. You need to take it in big chunks. Because there's a context here when he says no distinction here. There's a context. You read chapters 1, 2, and, and, and all of chapter 3. And you see the, what he's talking about. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. There is a... And that the Jews and Gentiles had a huge distinction. A Jew could not go into a Gentile's home. That was against the law. 
The Jews did not like the Gentiles. That's why the, all the, when we read the Gospels and you see the, the, the uh, uh, terrible ways that the Jews treated the Samaritans and other Gentiles and the Romans and what they thought of them. The attitudes that they had because there was a distinction between Jew and Gentile. And now because of the righteous, because of the righteousness of God, because of what God did, because of what Jesus Christ did, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, which is good news for us because now most of us listening, myself included, are Gentiles. I am not Jewish. I have no Jewish blood in my in my ancestry, as far as I know. If it is, it's very far back. But the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So this is not universalism to all who believe. So the ones who believe. But anyone can believe, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, educated, uneducated. No, there is, there is no, no ethnicity. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you come from Europe or Africa or Asia or South America or North America, it don't matter. There is no distinction. There is no distinction in verse 22 because of the righteousness of God, there is no distinction for all who believe. But verse 23, there is also no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the Jews don't have really an inside track. They have fallen short of the glory of God too, Jews and Gentiles. We all. It doesn't matter your family. Well, I grew up in a Christian family. My parents, my grandparents have been Christians. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So even if you grew up in a Christian family, praise God. But you too have fallen short of the glory of God. You too need to believe in Christ Jesus. There is no distinction. Verse 24. They are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There is no distinction. Those who believe, they are justified freely by his grace. Um, through... There's noise coming here. Do you hear it? They were justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely, all are, are, are free. God has makes no distinction. He, if you believe, there, there are no roadblocks for you to believe. There, there is not a distinction that some people, well, you grew up in a Christian family, so there's no roadblocks for you. But if you didn't grow up in a Christian family, then, then you have to do these other things first. No. It's all the same. God gives freely to all, all who believe. Why? Because of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not because of what I did. It's not because of what any other pastor or priest has done in the past, whether a Christian, Catholic priest or Jewish priest. No, it's what God has done. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that word redemption, it's not a Christian word. Not in Paul's day it wasn't. It was a legal word. If you were a slave, 
you you could become a slave because of debt. You could become a slave because the Roman Empire conquered your city, your nation. But if somebody paid a price to the Roman government, to your slave owner, that could buy your freedom, and you would no longer be a slave. You would be redeemed. So in Paul's day, when he wrote this, redemption was not a Christian word. It was a legal word. And Paul took it from the legal realm and applied it to us, applied it to the work of God, that God redeems us from the slavery of sin. And that we are justified freely, and I think he uses these words, freely through the redemption. Redemption isn't free. Redemption costs somebody money. There's a price to be paid. But then he uses that word freely there. And it's like, it's free to us if we believe. To all, there is no distinction. You know, you, you think of pro sports, you know, certain players get the league minimum wage. And other players, you know, can get contracts worth tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. There is a distinction. There is a difference. But in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're a, a wealthy millionaire or a billionaire or if you're homeless on the street. There is no distinction. It is free to all. And Paul explains himself some even more in verses 25 and 26. God presented him an atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. God presented him. Him who? Jesus. You got to pay attention to pronouns when Paul in Paul's letters, the Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, all those letters. He uses pronouns a lot, and sometimes it gets confusing. So pay attention to pronouns. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. God presented Jesus in his blood through faith. He's like, what in the world is he talking about? Well, go back and read the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is about the sacrificial system that the Jews had to follow and about the sacrifices that the Jews had to do for sin. The the day of atonement that happened every year, Yom Kippur is what it's called today, you might hear in the news once in a while. Um, The day of atonement, the day that the priest was sacrificed a perfect, the most perfect goat that they could find or lamb that they could find in the flocks. And the priest would first have to sacrifice a goat, his own goat for his own personal sins. Then he would do one for the nation of Israel. And he would take that blood and go inside the temple and go to the back of the temple and to the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was also called the mercy seat of God, behind the curtain. And he would take that blood and he would sprinkle it 
with a with, with hyssop, with a, a branch of a hyssop, would and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat of God. And he did that once a year for all the sins of all the people of the nation of Israel. But they had to do it every single year. Every single year. You as a person had to come every year and offer a sacrifice for your sins that you did for that year. Sometimes if it was some egregious sin, you would have to do a special offering just for that one sin. But always it was an animal. And it was always the blood had to be shed. And there was very specifics on all that. I know it sounds gruesome, but it was very specific on what had to happen. The blood had to be shed. And the first time we see that is in Exodus 12, when the nation of Israel, the 10th plague, and the Passover lamb, every household had to have a lamb in their house. And they had to kill the lamb. And when they killed it, they had to collect the blood. Then they had to go outside and paint it on the doorpost of their house. Over across the top of the doorframe and on the sides. So that the plague of death that came through Egypt that night wouldn't touch their house. Where the firstborn of every household was, was died. And so we have this pattern of blood through the Old Testament. And now here in the New Testament, because of Jesus Christ, and Paul's explaining this to the Romans, and some of them, many of them were Gentiles, so they hadn't heard this specifically spelled out before. So thankfully, God prompted Paul to write this letter to the church in Rome to spell it out to them. And they said, hey, this is good. They saved it and they copied it and gave it to others and gave it to others, and we have it today. So that we understand. God presented him, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice in his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Um, big word alert here. The atoning sacrifice, depending on your translation, depending on your footnotes in your Bible or whatever commentary, you may see the word propitiation there. Propitiation was a word that was used in, in, in many pagan uh, religions. It was because in pagan religions, the gods were always angry. And you had to have a sacrifice to appease the anger of the gods so the volcano wouldn't explode and, and destroy your town. Or, you know, there wouldn't have any other disaster would come from the wrath of the gods. So once again, Paul borrows from other outside of Judaism and uses a word. God is not, God is wrathful. He, he will punish sin. You read, we read that as, as a church at Tower View, we've been going through the book of Ezekiel and we see that very uh, blatantly. But God is not an angry God. He is a just God. But in the same way, our sins must be covered so that God's justice, his wrath because of his just, justness, because of his holiness, will not be taken out on us. And we, because of Jesus Christ, we have that. That demonstrates God, his righteousness. Now that his goes back to God. His righteousness, because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God is merciful. God is patient. God doesn't send a lightning bolt every time you sin. 
if we did we we'd all be singed maybe that's why i don't have any hair i don't know but god he showed restraint in the past he hasn't punished sin the instant it happened and it says previously committed he's referring back to before jesus back to before jesus was born back before jesus was set, died on the cross during the old testament time god did not punish the way he could have he showed restraint although if you would ask the jews in the days of ezekiel god was showing restraint they wouldn't think that he was as they saw jerusalem conquered and destroyed but god showed restraint in times past but now he is showing his mercy and his grace through Jesus Christ. And that's what it says in verse 26. God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness, God's righteousness, at the present time. So that he, God, would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So Paul was, you know, with, with, you know, Paul was alive during the time of Jesus. He didn't follow Jesus while Jesus was alive and on earth, but he was aware of him. God present, so at this present time, but this present time is still today. The present time is now. March 22nd, 2020 is the present time that, applies just as well to us today as it did the day Paul wrote this letter. So that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. God will declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. That means me. That means you if you have declared if you have put your faith in Jesus. Not just the head knowledge. Well yeah I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Scripture says Satan and the demons believe that, and they shudder. So it's not just the head knowledge. It's putting your faith, putting your life in the hands of God, that doing the things God's way, not the world's way. You read the Lord's Prayer, and you see that, no, we are to forgive. We are to call God holy. His name. We are to pray that God's will be done here on earth through our lives. We are to praise God for his creation. Satan and the demons don't do those things. And so it's to put your faith, to put your faith in the scripture that we are reading. And to put your faith that you will read it. Put your faith that you will do what it says. That you will change your heart and your attitude. And you will pray that God will change your heart and your attitude. Because sometimes it's not easy. You will be declared righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus. Faith, and that's where Paul is going, is the faith. Faith in Jesus. Paul then goes into a series of questions. He is arguing with people who aren't there. Okay, how do you argue with people who can't talk back? And he's writing a letter, so he can't have the dialogue. In a normal Sunday school class, we'd be sitting there, and I could ask you questions, you could ask me questions, there'd be a dialogue back and forth, to, to or 
maybe during a debate, you see a formal debate, there's questions that go back and forth, and there's a dialogue. Well, Paul's writing a letter. It's hard to have a dialogue in a letter. So he's, he, he knows the arguments that people have against him, and he's using those. Verses 27 and 28. Where then is boasting? Is it excluded? But what, by what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And so it goes back to what Paul was saying previously, talking about boasting. The Jews used to boast that they were God's people. And, they, and to some extent, that's a, a just boast. God did choose them. He chose Abraham. And the descendants of Abraham and the descendants of Isaac and, and Jacob and, and his 12 sons to be his chosen people. And to some extent, that's okay to boast. But then both becomes, well, we're, we're chosen and you're not. Nah, 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 nah. And that's the boasting Paul is talking about. That unrighteous, that prideful boasting, that human boasting that I am better than you for whatever reason. In this case, because they were Jews. But that boasting could just, just be, a, well, I'm better than you because I grew up in a Christian family. I'm better than you because I'm American. I'm better than you because I'm white. I'm better than you because I'm black. It doesn't matter. I'm better than you because I'm rich. It doesn't matter. That, that kind of human boasting doesn't get us anywhere. It's all pride that's evil, that's Satan. So where then is boasting? He says he, it's excluded. Boasting is excluded. Because the he goes, by what kind of law? Well, the Jews boasted because they had the law of Moses. That's his answer. By what kind of law? Because that's what the Jews are boasting. Well, I'm boasting because I have the law of Moses, and I follow the law. That's what they boasted in. I followed the law. And that he knew that's what their answer was going to be, the Jewish answer. Because we boast that I follow the law of Moses. Therefore, I'm righteous. But Paul says, what kind of law? He threw him a monkey wrench. What do you mean? Because they meant the law of Moses. But Paul says, what kind of law? And he comes up with a new law. No, on the contrary, by the law of faith. Which is kind of a weird turn of phrase. Because by definition, faith doesn't have a law. In the law, everything is spelled out. This is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. It's spelled out. This is righteous actions. These are sinful actions. It's spelled out. Thou shalt not steal. That's a law. Don't steal. Okay, well, I'm just borrowing. Well, now you're getting into nuances. Don't steal. If you ask the person, you can borrow it, and they say, yes, you can borrow You're not stealing now. But there's a black and white. There's the law, and there's not the law. There's the righteous part, and there's a sin. But now he comes to turns of phrase, and he says it's the law of faith. If you have faith in something, there is really no law there. That's not a law. But he, he's turning the word. He's saying that the, the world has changed. God has revealed something new. You don't need the Old Testament law. You have faith in God now. That's your law. The law is that you have faith. You believe in Christ Jesus, and you have faith in what he does, and that drives your actions. Because you have faith in Jesus... 
and his salvation. That changes your attitude. That faith changes your attitude. That faith changes the things that you do. The things that you used to do don't please you anymore. They don't satisfy you anymore. It's because you have, so you don't need the law to tell you what to do and not to do. You have the faith in God, and that drives what you do. That's the law he's talking about. Verse 28, for we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. I was like, well, we're not Jews. We don't have the works of the law. Well, no, not technically we don't. We don't deem certain foods clean and certain foods unclean or kosher. No, we don't. But we, we kind of make up our own laws, though, don't we? Well, I'm a good Christian. I go to church every week. At least when church is meeting. We always meet, except when it snows too much or too much ice on the roads or the government says you need to stay home so we don't spread around a virus around. Or you stay at home because of your sick. But no, you, we have these things. Well, I've, I've been going to church. I've been baptized. And we, we, we spout off all these things that we do. And in a sense that we make them all our, we make them our law. And those are all good things. I read my Bible every day. I read this little devotional. I read my daily bread. I do all these things. I pray before I eat. And those are all great things. But those things of themselves are not what save you. You are justified by faith. And by faith, you go, I want to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ and be at church every chance I get. By faith, I want to read my scripture every day because I desire to know more about God. By faith, I pray and thank God for every meal I eat before I eat it. By faith drives what you do. By faith, you become the best parent, best father, best mother that you can be. By faith, you become the best employee you can be at your job. By faith, you become the best boss, manager, supervisor you can be at your job. And those things drive you. The faith drives you. The other things, and, and that's the difference between Paul and, and the book of James. James is talking about from a different, from a different point of view. Paul is talking to people who think that they are saved because they do the right thing from a worldly point of view. He's saying, no, that's not the way it works. Your faith is what saves you, not the things that you do. James was talking to lazy people who claim, well, I have faith. I don't need to do anything. No, by faith, you're driven to do things, to show your faith and to do stuff. So Paul is talking to people who try to justify themselves by their actions. So just because you're a church member, just because your parents were church members or your grandparents were church members, doesn't save you. You must have faith. You must have faith. Because that comes first. The acts of the law, what we do, that is driven by your faith by your faith in Christ, by the Holy Spirit indwelling you and changing you. And Paul is arguing against the people that says, well, I'm saved because I do the right thing, because of works. And that's not what it is. And he continues his argument with these people. 
in verses 29 to 31. And then he kind of changes tax. He said he starts with an or there. So he's changing tack a little bit. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since then there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On contrary, we uphold the law. So he changes text. He says, let me look at from another point of view. Every nation in the world at that time had law, had their own gods. So every country you went to, every city state that you went to, they had their own set of gods. If you went to Greece, if you went to Athens, you saw the Greek gods. If you went to Rome and to Italy, what we now call Italy, you saw the Roman gods. If you went to Babylon, you saw the Babylonian gods. You went down to Egypt, to Alexander, you saw the Egyptian gods. And if you went to Jerusalem, you saw the God of it, you saw the temple to the God of creation, the God of universe, Yahweh. And so there was an idea that, okay, got that God, the one in Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem that was still standing at that time, that's the God for the Jews only, for the Israelites only. And Paul's saying, no, God is a universal God. He's a God for every person in the world. The Romans, the Greeks, the Babylonians, the Egyptians. What they called the barbarians or anybody who was outside those nations were barbarians. So people from Africa, people from Europe, they were all called barbarians. So he's saying, no, this is God, is God forever. Is he God of the Jews only? Is he God of the Gentiles too? Yes, emphatically, yes. God is the Yahweh is the God of Gentiles to praise God because I am Gentile, as I said before. He said, and he says, because of that, since verse 30, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Once again, that's the euphemism. Circumcised are the Jews, the uncircumcised are the Gentiles, everybody else. One God. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter your bodily condition. If you've been circumcised or not. Doesn't matter if, you, if you're a man or a woman. Doesn't matter who your parents were. Because to be Jew meant who you it mattered. Your, your, father, your parents had to be Jewish. But it didn't matter if your parents were Jewish or not. Doesn't matter if your parents were Christian or not. He is your God. Doesn't matter what your parents were. Were you from a family that is practices Islam, or practices Hindu, or practices Buddhism or Shintoism? Doesn't matter. Your parents were atheists. They're agnostic. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. God is your God. Through faith, He can become your God. In verse 31, do we then nullify the law through faith? Paul is emphatic, absolutely not. When he gets there, that's as close as Paul gets to cussing in the, in the Bible. Uh, he is just 
Absolutely not. Positively, absolutely, no way not. Faith in Jesus does not nullify the Old Testament. We don't throw out the Old Testament because of Jesus. Do we have to pass, practice the sacrificial system anymore? No. We saw that when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain that covered the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, was torn from top to bottom. That was a very tall curtain, probably 20, 30 feet high in there. There's no way a man could get up to the top and tear it from the top. It was tore from the top down. God tore it. He opened that up so it wasn't hidden anymore. It's like, how does that all work with Jesus? I think, well, if you really want to know more, read the book of Hebrews. It goes down and explains the priest, the sacrificial system, and how Jesus satisfies all that. That's another study for another day. But no, the law, Jesus came and he told us in the law, in, in Matthew chapter 5, in the, Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I didn't come to nullify the law, I come to fulfill the law. And so Jesus doesn't nullify the law. The Ten Commandments are not nullified. They are still valid. Jesus, through faith, you keep those. Through faith, you don't want to take what is not yours. Through faith, you don't want to dishonor God and blaspheme his name. Through faith, you don't want to covet what other people have. Through faith, you want to have keep a Sabbath day and keep it holy. A day of rest. So true faith in Jesus doesn't nullify the Old Testament. It upholds it. True faith, it doesn't matter who you are, rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're an auto mechanic or the engineer who designed the car or the salesman who sold the car. It doesn't matter. Or just the person that drives the car. It doesn't matter. Through faith in Jesus, you have salvation. And then we continue on. And in our Bibles, it says that we go on to chapter 4. Okay? Now, when Paul wrote this, he didn't say, okay, put a little 4 there. Now we're going to a new chapter. Paul didn't put these numbers in here. Okay? Paul just is continuing his thought. So, in a sense, chapter 4 is a sermon illustration to prove his point about faith. And how faith is in the Old Testament. How faith is not a new concept. That the Old Testament is not a testament of works, then the New Testament is, is, is on faith. He's saying, no, faith was in the Old Testament. And let me show you how. Okay. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say that, what then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? So he's asked, what about Abraham, the founder of Judaism, the father of all Jews and Israelites? Verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, excuse me, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. So you go back and you read the accounts of, of Abraham. Abraham. The accounts of Abraham begin in Genesis chapter 12. This is why we need to read big chunks of the Bible. You need to go back and read the Old Testament. Genesis, beginning in chapter 12, and in, in 
many chapters following is the story of Abraham. And he begins with the name Abram, and God changes his name to Abraham. But in Paul refers to, and it says, it was credit to him for righteousness. That is found in Genesis 15, 6, where it says God credited Abraham's belief in God as righteousness. And you think, well, okay, that's fine. Abraham did a lot of cool things. You know, him and Sarah had a son named Isaac, and they circumcised him. And later, um, Abraham uh, uh, tried to sacrifice Isaac at, at, at God's request, and God stopped him. But God, but Abraham was willing to sacrifice. Abraham did a lot of wonderful. He left his home and traveled to a new land. But in, if you go back to Genesis chapter 15, Isaac hadn't been born yet. God hadn't told Abraham to, sac uh, to circumcise anybody yet. Abraham hadn't uh, tried to sacrifice anybody he loved yet. In Genesis 15, God took Abraham outside and told him to look up at the stars. He says, look at the stars and see how many there are. Can you count them? That's how many descendants you're going to have. There are going to be too many to count. And it says, Abraham believed God. And it was still many years before Abraham ever had a son, ever had Isaac. And this was even before Ishmael and Hagar incident. That's when God said that Abraham had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness before Abraham did anything. Abraham had faith that God would do the thing that he promised many years before it actually came true. So Abraham didn't boast in his works. Those all came later because of his faith. Because of his faith, he still loved his wife, Sarah, who they eventually had a child. From the time God first told Abraham that he would be the father of nations till Sarah had Isaac, 25 years passed. And Abraham was 75 years old when God told him the first time. He was 99, almost 100, he was 100 years old the time Isaac was born. And Sarah was only 10 years younger than him. By faith, Abraham followed God those 25 years. By faith, he understood what God meant when he said you need to be circumcised. By faith, he followed God's directive when he said, yeah, I need you to sacrifice your son that I just promised you for those 25 years. And so Abraham was an example of following God because of faith, not because of law, because Abraham was before the law of Moses. Abraham had no law to follow. As far as we know, Abraham had no scriptures as we know it today to follow. All he had was faith in God. And so as we end this session, as we end this lesson, continue, read the rest of chapter 4. Next week's lesson begins with chapter 5, verse 1. But continue reading chapter 4 because he goes on to continue to explain 
what he means by this of, of Abraham's faith. He fleshes it out more. So read chapter four. Go back and read the first part of chapter three so you understand the but now in verse 21. But when we talked about one of the ways to lead people, the, the, the need for salvation is what's called the Romans road. And right here we have two verses that have that. In verse 323, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In, in verse four, chapter four, verse three, you know, we are credited, Abraham had faith in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we can have that same, we have that same faith in the same God that Abraham had. We are no different than Abraham. There is no distinction that Paul said. There is no distinction. There's no distinction between Abraham and us. We can have the same faith and the same God for the same salvation. There's no distinction between us and the Apostle Paul. There's no distinction between you and me, even though I have the title pastor. It doesn't matter. There's no distinction depending whatever nationality is on your passport. No distinction. And so by faith, by faith, it's not the works of the church. It's not the works that you have, all the good things that you have. Those are great things. Don't stop doing them. But do them because of your faith. Because Christianity is not a work salvation. It's not some religions you got to pray five times a day. And every time you pray, you have to wash your hands a certain way to make yourself holy. And you have to take off your shoes. And you have to lay on a certain a special type of rug. And you have to make sure you point the right direction. Those are all works. By faith, you can pray while you're driving your car. Keep your eyes open. By faith, you can pray while you're sitting on a couch in your living room. By faith, you can pray while you're getting outside and social distancing from a distance when walking down the sidewalk. While you can pray. You can pray with your eyes closed as you're trying to go to sleep at nighttime and you fall asleep before you say amen. That's perfectly fine. I don't care. By faith. By faith, you pick up your scripture and you read it instead of watching TV. By faith, you confess your sins to God and you say, I repent. God, please save me. Because I can't do it myself. I've tried all these years to do the right thing and it's not working. By faith, I have realized that I have sinned fallen short of the glory of God. And by faith, I repent. And God, I want to follow you instead of me. I want to follow your ways. That may be going against your family. It may be going against the church that, the religious institute that you, you go to. Maybe going against the, the, the normal morals taught by the media and movies these days. By faith, you follow the God of Scripture, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, the Holy One. And through the Holy Spirit, it will direct you and show you how to live your life by faith. I pray today's lesson was beneficial. I thank you for sitting and listening. Right now, I see many of you are online right now. And I thank you for each and every one that's online. I can't, because of the way it's set up, I can't see if you made a comment. 
uh, uh, has been out there. But I thank you for listening. I thank you for watching. Whether you're watching live or are watching this as it's recorded, thank you. Once again, I'm, I'm Pastor Nelson. I'm associate pastor at Power View Baptist Church, in Kansas City, Missouri. We're in the area of, of Maple Park, and Grace Moore, and Clay Como. In, in, in Kansas, here in Kansas City, you can contact us through our Facebook page, Tower View Baptist Church. You can see what other resources we have at our website, TowerViewKC.com. You can call us eight one six five five. Start, start again, 816-368-1330. There's ways you can contact us there. They have email addresses on, on our website and on our Facebook page that you can contact us with. Ways you can send messages to us. Please contact us. Call us. If, even if you have to leave a message on the phone number, somebody will get in contact with you whether myself or Pastor Darren, our senior pastor, Pastor Craig, one of our deacons. Let us know what your prayer requests are. What are your praises are? How is God working in your life these days? Uh, what needs do you have uh, that we can help with? We're a small church. We can't help everybody everywhere, but we try to help our church members' needs, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who are, are near our church in the Grace Moore and Maple Park area uh, that, are, that are close to their church, those are, the, those are the ones that we can physically help. But we can pray for everybody, no matter where you are in the world. No matter what continent you're on, whether English is your first language or not, you know, let us know how we can pray for you anywhere. Whether it, Like I said, whether it's a request, a need that you have, or it's a praise that you have that you can share how God is working in your life. Let me close in prayer this morning. Lord God, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for the, the words that you gave us through the Apostle Paul. Help us to read them. Help us to study them. Help us to understand them, Lord, because quite frankly, Paul is hard to read sometimes. He has long sentences, lots of hard words sometimes, and hard concepts. Lord, I pray that these words have been helpful to people, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is touching people's hearts and minds. I pray to talk to hearts and minds of my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that it's a new understanding of who you are and what you do. I pray that the Holy Spirit is working on people who have never come to know you, that they will come to know you for the first time and rejoice in salvation. You are the mighty God. Lord. We just pray all these things in your heavenly name. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. We pray this. Amen. I thank you for listening. I pray that God will bless your day today. Go out and go with God.